This is Michael Easley in Context. Here's a peek at what Michael will be talking about today. These high school kids I've been working with desperately needed a home where Jesus was Lord and builder of that home. And uh, frankly, Michael, um, I thought I was so naive. I thought everybody had a family like I had. Not perfect, but we were heading the right direction. For more information, go to michaelincontext.com. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. Thanks so much for joining the broadcast today. One of the privileges I have in bringing this program to you is that I get to interview a lot of really cool people. And part of the philosophy of In Context is not just to hear biblical exposition all the time, which is critical and foundational, but I want to show you in context how people just like you are using their gifts, skills, and ability in a different way than being a talking head or a missionary, a pastor, some what we call quote-unquote Christian ministry. And one of my close friends, Dennis Rainey, was part of co-founding in 1976 an organization called Family Life Today. I've known Dennis for 30-some years now, and one of the delights has been to grow up together in our walk with Christ. Now, Dennis is a lot older than me. He's got a lot more children and grandchildren than I could ever manage. But there are a generation of us who we would say we grew up with Dennis Rainey. Dennis and Barbara's books, their teaching, they were the jumpstart for a lot of us to learn the foundations of a marriage, the principles of how to date your wife forever, what it means to be one in marriage, and many other things we learned from Dennis and Barbara over the years. It was my privilege in 1992 and three to be invited to be part of the Family Life Speaker Team. And for 15 years, Cindy and I traveled the country and some abroad to speak in weekend events where uh, groups would gather in, in hotels and conference centers, all sorts of locations, and we would present the material from the Family Life Weekend to remember. Now, Dennis has been used in an extraordinary way. Over 2.5 million copies of the Home Builders Edition have been published. These are fill-in-the-blank study guides that anyone, you and I, can buy these little booklets, lead a small group in our home, fill in a blank, talk about life and marriage and conflict, remarriage issues, raising stepchildren issues, all sorts of topics that Home Builders covers, as well as learn about the basics of marriage and, along the way, We can share our story of how Christ has changed our marriages. So it's a delight again today to bring Dennis on the program. I know you'll enjoy him. One thing he does not lack is passion and energy. The nationally syndicated program, Family Life Today, heard all over the country and now abroad. Dennis serves on many boards. He is now on the board of Dallas Theological Seminary, where we both earned our advanced degrees. And it's a delight to bring Dennis onto the program today. Well, Dennis, thanks so much for uh, taking your time to be with me today. I really appreciate it. Good to be here. It really is. Now, you have a lot of listeners that hear you Monday through Saturday all over the U.S., and when they turn into Family Life Today or a Weekend to Remember conference or some of the other outreaches you have, they may not know a lot about Dennis Rainey, the person. They know the ministry. They know your 20, what, six-some books, but um, tell us a little bit about Dennis, where he grew up, when you came to Christ, some of the, the early stories of Dennis Rainey. I grew up in Ozark, Missouri, which I used to say was 15 miles south of Springfield, Missouri, and 
a few people knew who that knew where that was. Um, but now I say I grew up about uh, 35 miles north of Branson, and everybody knows where that is. <laughs> Ozark was a little sleepy town of 1,350 people. One caution light, it was the county seat of Christian County. Wow. So that's how I'm a Christian. There you go. Michael, I was <laughs> I, I grew up in Christian <laughs> County. <laughs> no, I was raised by um, a pair of God-fearing parents uh, who took me to church and Actually, my mom led me to Christ in her, it was called Baptist Training Union. Wow. Sunday night, Sunday night church, little training union class. And, and uh, I, I felt uh, that uh, God was convicting me that I needed to do something about my sin and I needed forgiveness. And even at the ripe old age of uh, uh, somewhere between six and seven, I'm not exactly sure right in there, but, but I, I just felt like I needed a savior and, I walked down the front of the church that that uh, Sunday evening, and um, as I recall, there was something like 40 or 50 other young huh. people who uh, ended up uh, joining me, not that night, but over uh, the coming days at a revival in our church, and uh, it was just a, it was a great place to grow up. It was, it was a little bit of a leave it to beaver type approach. Hmm. Um, had a great mom, a great dad, my, my dad's um, was a key figure in my life, uh, even though his father deserted him when he was a boy, when he was like 13 or 14, and uh, when divorce was totally unheard of. That, that's a, that, they were anomaly, right? Oh, yeah. 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 And yet my dad, my dad figured it out. And a lot of it, Michael, was um, my dad just had rock-solid integrity. He was, what you saw was was who he was. There, there weren't two... Uh, Hook Rainey's, and, and his, his nickname was Hook, not because he had a hook on his left arm, he was a lefty, but because he had a wicked curveball. <laughs> and that was about the only thing that was wicked about him was his curveball. Uh, but we used to play catch out in the front yard and that he'd let die in July. My mom always wanted to water it. He just let it die so he didn't have to mow it. And uh, he was a, he was just rock solid in my life until his death, uh, 19... 76 when we started family life and uh um but um that was a big hole for you yeah it was a big hole really was but kind of back to the journey aspect um i would have to say i treated jesus christ like a spare tire from the time i was six or seven all the way till my uh, uh my summer before my junior year in college and and i got in a bible study about the book of romans that summer, and the hound of heaven chased me down. Uh, I found out about the love of God and justification by faith and that I really was loved and didn't have to earn my way to heaven. And I really believe I became a, um, a follower of Christ at six or seven, but but kicked it into gear when I was 20. And I a- actually changed. I, I went to the University of Arkansas as a junior, a transfer student from a small junior college. And I I actually went. I said, "I'm I'm a I'm a missionary. I'm going on a mission to represent uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I'm an ambassador for Him. And I'm going to go through Rush, join a fraternity, and evangelize that fraternity and share Christ with them." And I did, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and 
the spiritual lights were on. My life uh, moved from being black and white to technicolor and quadraphonic sound. It was spectacular. <laughs> I wouldn't go back to the way I was living. I mean, what a boring existence mm-hmm. to think you could walk with the God who created 40,000 different kinds of butterflies and his ingenuity and in creation to think you could walk with him every day and attempt to be obedient and follow him. And uh, so I was very involved in the Baptist church there with H.D. McCarty, uh, became a collegiate pastor there, worked with what is now known as Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, and joined staff upon graduation, working with high school kids. So how and, old were you when you joined staff? Uh, uh, I was 20, I was 20, uh, just short of 22, 21 okay. years old, 1970. And joined staff with with crew had to had to raise the vast sum of six hundred dollars a month yeah. uh, to go on staff, getting paid two hundred and eighty five dollars a month, and I was overpaid at that, Michael. You know that. Uh, <laughs> Work with high school kids in uh, Dallas, Texas, then Boulder, Colorado, and that's when Barbara and I uh, didn't meet. We we'd met each other at the University of Arkansas, but uh, uh, when God said to, to me, you know. That's your wife right there. Go get her. And uh, we dated for about six weeks, got engaged, and were married six weeks later. Did you meet her father? I did. Asked, uh, I asked. didn't really. I Yeah, I was kind of, I did that kind of backwards, really. Okay. Uh, it was kind of a jet sled relationship. And it was kind of like, if God said we ought to do this, let's, let's do it. And uh, he forgave me. And... Mm. Uh, uh, he was a good man, but uh, we started out with high school kids in Boulder, Colorado, and then worked with kids in Columbus, Ohio, and then Southern California, and Seattle, and Boston, and all over the country, and, and then left to go back to uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, your alma mater. Majored in Hendrix there, yeah. and the Bible, and um, I think it was there the spiritual lights came on again to see that these high school kids I've been working with desperately needed a home where Jesus was Lord and builder of that home. And uh, frankly, Michael, um, I thought I was so naive. I thought everybody had a family like I had. Mm. And it wasn't that it was a perfect family, but it was it was just wholesome and good and God-fearing. And again, not perfect, but we were heading the right direction. And I found out through working with high school kids nationwide that families were in a in big time trouble. When you come from this fairly idyllic home, pretty good, wholesome environment, the Baptist church, walk the aisle, pray the prayer, good environment, you're in love with Christ in college, your view of marriage and family and you and Barbara, what you've created, now you're out in a world where the issues that you faced, they're not even important anymore. They don't even exist anymore, right? It's interesting. When we started the Family Life Ministry back in 1976, we started it not with the intention of doing anything that we had done. We just started it to help equip engaged couples to get married. But we felt like couples needed to get the blueprints together in advance before they start building. I'm going to tell you something, Michael. The difference of how couples back then were approaching it with the couples today is is like light years. I mean, back then we had this session. You'll find this fascinating. Back then we had this session for these the these engaged couples, and we talked about the honeymoon night, and it was like it was going to be their first sexual experience. And granted, for many, it wasn't back then. Even back then, coming out of the sexual revolution, but today it's kind of laughable. 
The assumptions that you're making both morally, spiritually, what they know about the Bible, uh, what they know about the teachings of marriage and family— I'm going to tell you something. You can't have the breakdown of the family like we've seen it over the past four decades. Did you have any sense that it was going to get to the place it is today? Zero. Zero. I I mean, I was so naive as we started this thing. But I'm going to tell you something. If I would have plotted a course for my life, I couldn't have plotted a better one. Because I think the needs of marriage and family today are central to your church. You know, you got a, a, a whole house full of folks there in your church, thousands of them, and they all come from a home, and most of them are establishing or attempting to establish a home, and they need help. And I think the church is the key in providing that help because we got to get them back into the biblical blueprints and uh, uh, really train them and show them how to how to make Christ the builder and maker of their, their marriage and family. Otherwise, they're going to become a statistic. When, when we hear problems that are this staggering, the numbers are, it's just like, you know, a tidal wave going over us culturally. Where do you start, Dennis? I think you start in your own home. I mean, first of all, are, is Christ Lord of your life? Mm-hmm. I mean, does he have ownership? Is he your savior? Is he your master? You can't begin to think about having a Christian home and passing on a godly legacy if you don't know him. So you got to settle that issue uh, out of the gate, and he offers grace. I don't care what you've done, who you are, where you've been. Uh, I've been meditating on the woman who was caught in adultery by a bunch of religious Pharisees, mm-hmm. and they were wanting to stone her. Jesus scolded them and sent them away, said, Who among you is without sin? You cast the first stone. And then he turned to the woman out of compassion, and he said, Go. And then he, he didn't he didn't buckle on the truth. He said, "Go and sin no more." Mm-hmm. And and to that person who doesn't know Christ, that's their first step today. But then, secondly, you need to invite him in to your marriage and your family and help him take a bunch of imperfect, selfish human beings and merge them together, and begin to mold his image so that your marriage reflects the your marriage reflects the image of God. And, and one of the ways, best ways I'd encourage you to achieve that is by praying together as a couple. Uh, we had a guy who challenged Barbara and me to start doing that uh, over 41 years ago. Uh, in the first months of our marriage, and Michael, uh, you know this, we've talked about it in the past, I started praying with Barbara back then every day, and that uh, was the last thing we did last night before we went to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, prayer uh, calls out to, to God and it says, you're God, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I yield to you. I bring my troubles, the things that are beating the daylights out of me. And I bring my bride before God. And we pray together. And it doesn't usually last a long time because we're whipped. But we acknowledge who is the life giver and who is the one who holds all authority under heaven and earth. And we yield our lives afresh to him. And uh, I think that's the beginning point for how you uh, begin to establish a a marriage and a family that reflects who God is to a culture that desperately needs to see what real love looks like. The onslaught of the redefinition of marriage is happening politically, socially, even under the pretense of robed clerics uh, in our our churches today in the country are allowing civil marriages and some of them redefining the whole thing. So you're in a local church. I'm in a local church. We feel the pressure around us from every angle. 
I can share the gospel clearly. I can, you know, try to live the Christian life. I can do the things you've encouraged us to do for years, pray with our family, so forth, teach our kids. But Dennis, I feel like I'm going down the drain with a culture that's completely the opposite. That's what the enemy wants wants us to think. Um, God's truth is the truth. And uh, I think what we need to be what we need to be about is we need to be walking with him and we need to be fulfilling his mission for our lives. I don't know how else to do battle. And a part of uh, a part of a, a mission of uh, a mom and a dad is to pass on biblical truth to their kids so their kids grow up and can ultimately begin to embrace their own convictions. I think the challenge to families today is to not merely pass on their faith, but to to ultimately fuel the child to begin to step out with their own faith and their own convictions about what they believe the Bible teaches. Here's the thing. I really understand why um, there's been a redefinition of marriage, why there has been such a broad spectrum of now people who want to invite people into the marriage relationship. Uh, I think it's going to get broader, too. I understand why people think that way. Their worldview is not based upon the Bible. But what I don't understand is how someone can be a follower of Jesus Christ and not be grappling over what the book teaches, what the Bible teaches is a marriage and how that marriage functions. And I think ultimately that starts with us as the parents to be able to equip our kids to know how to think, how to critically think in a culture that's going to test their faith in ways unimaginable, I believe, in the mm-hmm. coming in the coming months and years. Uh, I mean, for me, I, I'm kind of amazed myself. Last summer, uh, I sent out an email uh, to several hundred thousand people who are on our email list. And these people have been to our conferences, listened to our broadcast. And I sent out an email saying I was saddened by the Supreme Court's decision to redefine marriage. And I got over 300 very pointed emails in return saying, take me off Mm -hmm. your mailing list. You're a bigot. You're everything about Christianity that I despise. You're why people don't want to go to church. I'm going to tell you something. I didn't poke anybody in the eye with a stick in my email. I I was very loving and compassionate. I think that's got to be uh, got to be what we lead with. We, I don't think we can necessarily lead with the truth. Jesus didn't with the woman caught in adultery. He led with compassion. Mm-hmm. He talked about go and sin no more. You can be forgiven. When you look at Christ in John, um, seven key people, seven unique approaches to each one of them, we, we kind of shrink wrap it and say, you know, the four spiritual laws, good news, bad news, Roman road, all of which are effective in certain times. But Christ seems to, to deal with them uniquely. And you raise yeah. the issue of compassion with the woman at the well. Um, when we hear this, and you've been a, you've been a champion of of orphans, of adoption, of single parenting for for you know three decades now. Um, when we, how do we have compassion, Dennis, on a group? Uh, not not to get too fine a point, but when a group aligns himself with a sinful identity, we're not moving in to say, "Oh, I have compassion for your sinful behavior." No. Not at all. But what we have to realize is once I was lost, but now I'm found. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know how to think. And you have to realize we're we're dealing with people whose authority for life is not the Bible. They've got a worldview based upon more than likely self and what they think is right and wrong. 
And why would we begin to think they would agree with us? Jesus said, if, if the world hated me, they're not going to like you either. Right. Huh? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, why would we expect them to, you know, gather around us in a circle and say, let's all vote for, for Michael and Dennis because we really love them. No, they, they crucified our Savior because they didn't like the truth when they saw it, even when they saw it with perfect love. They saw perfect love and truth mm-hmm. and grace and mercy. And But I think that's our challenge, Michael. I, I think... And, and I have confessed on air, on my broadcast, I have confessed to the homosexual community that, that I did have wrong attitudes and, and made fun and made jokes. And I said, I'm wrong. I was wrong. And I'm sorry. Forgive me. But I can do something about it going forward. I've never forgotten this. I sat down with a dad one time who, whose son was kind of skating into the, the homosexual lifestyle and he said, Dennis, you, you wouldn't believe how many in the Christian community tell crass jokes about homosexuals. And he said, uh, they have no idea because I'm not going to tell them. Right. I'm not going to tell them that we're privately hurting deeply over uh, a child who's, who's, who's lost their way. Yeah. Yeah. But we of all people, forgiven sinners. Mm-hmm. I've never forgotten this. I talked to a guy, his name was Pastor Dobson in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. He had a, a service for uh, homosexuals in the evening on Saturday evening. And some of the straight folks on Sunday morning criticized him. Sure. And he said, really? And they said, well, you're inviting these, these sinners to come in here and, and come to church. And he said, that's exactly right. I'm going to set them right between those of you who are liars and thieves <laughs> and drunks and those of you whose marriages are, are a wreck with the rest of us. And I think I think the Apostle Paul said something along those lines. You know, we're all broken. We're all sexually broken. Some people it shows up in one way. Others, they've made mistakes in other ways. I think we've got to extend the the grace of God to a group of people that aren't going to, they're not going to extend it to us. In fact, they're going to call us bigots and bullies Mm -hmm. because we stand for the truth. But the last time I checked, uh, the First Amendment still in place in America, and I think we can still do that. And even even the Bible trumps the First Amendment. I, you know, I look at how Jesus did it in John 1. It says, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth, mm-hmm. and not one at the expense of the other. He knew how to love, and he knew how to teach. You're 85 now, Dennis. You're on your rocking chair on your porch overlooking your veranda. <laughs> And uh, looking back on it all, what do you remember? What do you regret? I would remember, um, as we referred to earlier in this, uh, having a fire lit in my soul as a lost boy who was afraid he was going to spend the rest of eternity in hell. I remember the hope the gospel gave me that redeemed me out of that. And then I remember beginning that journey uh, in earnest, more as a college student, and realizing God had given me a mission. Not just any mission, but the most important mission on the planet, the Great Commission of proclaiming the gospel. And that uh, to whatever degree I've had the opportunity to do that as, as an 85-year-old looking all the way back to when I was 20, I'd be looking back over 65 years thanking him for the privilege of mm-hmm. serving him 
as a part of that would have been a great choice I made about marrying myself with my bride, Barbara, Mm -hmm. who then would be rocking beside me. And at that point, we would have been married 60 years, which would be kind of sweet. That'd be nice. Mm -hmm. And then I'd be probably looking at at the picture of my grandkids and great grandkids. I've got expecting our 20th grandchild right now. We've got six (laughs) children. I'd be looking at a a horizontal picture that's probably with grandchildren. Going to need most of the porch to uh, put the picture. Going to have there. to have the, the names labeled printed under each one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as you yeah. get older, so I could so I could remember them, no doubt about it. But I'd I'd look back with great satisfaction at the in, unspeakable privilege of God giving Barbara and me six children, and in all of our imperfections, uh, attempting to introduce them to to the Savior and and equip them to to live life and then make a home of their own. Dennis Rainey, President, Chief Executive Officer of Family Life. Family Life Today, almost 30 books authored and co-authored, heard around the country, around the world. Weekend to Remember conferences. Um, Dennis, privilege to call you a friend. Privilege to call you my brother. Thank you, my friend. I love you, Michael. Love You're you too. You're a good man. Well, only because I got to meet Dennis Rainey about 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Michael Easley in Context.